There you go. Can I wear some tape, please? I'd just like to tape the stool to the stage. You know me, I'm not a risk taker at all. I'm, I like to be very safe. Um, but, but if you've never been to a dawn service, there's something actually quite powerful about it. I've been to a few in my time, and by definition, they're obviously held quite early in the day, being a dawn service. Um, although, <laughs> but I was, talk- I was actually talking to Lockie today, and he tells me that the one in Richmond today was actually held at, what, like 5 o'clock or something? 4.30, quarter to 5 or something. That's not dawn, so I don't know what's going on there. But because it's at dawn, it's always pretty chilly, and... Yeah, well, and if it's not rainy, there's that smell of, of dew in the air and it just makes everything smell clean, I feel. That's kind of the impression that I have. And I think in the cold, it just, it just adds that extra bit of edge to it. And as I reflect on the dawn services that I've been to, to me, there's, there's actually music in the thud of the boots of the soldiers as they, as they march down the road. And as they, they carry out their, their drill movements, sometimes 50, sometimes 100 people just moving in one direction, in, in one moment. And I've spent a bit of time on the parade ground myself and I guess to me there's a real contrast between what happens on all other occasions where dual commands are barked at people, shouted and bellowed. But for the dawn service, the commands are given in almost a whisper and you have to really strain in. And then at some point in the, uh, in the ritual, usually a bugler will stand up and he'll play the last post, he'll play Ravelli. And just to hear those clear notes ring out, it's, it's a pretty powerful moment. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's, it's something that, I don't know, I guess, Roger, I didn't really fully appreciate till I kind of signed up. But once you sign up, you feel somehow a bit more part of what's going on. And even looking up at those pictures that you had on your video, mate, you really do get a deeper grasp of what it means. You know, whether it means that old Pete here gets called into the warehouse at three in the morning, you know, to give the guys their rifles for the parade, um, or whether it's, as I did, you know, taking a bunch of trainee soldiers down the river at three o'clock in the night, actually through Liverpool. You really get this idea that, wow, my life is, is certainly not my own anymore and that there is something bigger going on. That's quite a powerful thing. Um, I'm just wondering, there's a real clicking coming through here? I don't know if anyone else can hear it. Maybe, yeah, a few people have probably just drawn all your attention to that. <laughs> You're trying hard to ignore it up until then. But This is? Thanks, mate. Can I have some tape, please? No. That's good. Yeah. Yep, thanks, mate. But, and I guess for me, the dawn service actually, I don't know, speaks a lot to me. And even, even though I've actually been enlisted, on the screen you saw those words, lest we forget. 
I don't know if those words actually mean anything to you. In my vaguer moments, I hear them or I read them and I go, what, is it, what does that even mean? Lest we forget. You know, what, are we, what are we trying to remember? And I guess one of the things that, that I kind of remember is I'm a young guy by the name of Simpson. And the Anzac legend was formed not in Vietnam, not in World War II, but actually in World War I. And this guy wasn't even an Aussie. We lay hold of anyone, you know. We'll put up with Russell Crowe and say he's an Aussie, we'll take anyone. But um, this guy, he left England. He actually, I think, jumped ship and then signed up in the Australian Army and they put him into the medical corps. And I don't know if you ever really know much about what went on at the landings at Gallipoli, but it was kind of like they dig a trench here and then sometimes only 20 metres away there's a trench here. And the idea is that these guys want to get into this trench and these guys want to stop them. And the way that used to work is that young men, Bull's age, Zach's age, Pete would have been an old man, they'd sit in those trenches and they'd wait and they'd be told to unload their rifles and they'd charge with nothing more than the sharp steel of the bayonet on the end of their rifle and a guy would blow the whistle and the guy with the whistle was the only one with any bullets in his gun and that was because people were scared that if the soldiers realised the stupidity of what they were doing they would turn and say we're not going out there and so the bullets were in his gun to make sure that people did what they were told and they jumped up over this, the wall of the trench and then they charged flat out into the enemy and when all you've got is steel and speed you run pretty fast but even as fast as they run some of the guys would cut down no more than a metre after they got out of the trench and this young guy Simpson his job was to crawl out there and to sort out the dead from the dying the hurt from the helpless and he would drag as many as he could back and then treat them as best he could and he was finding that too many were dying under his care and so he found a donkey and he would drag guys back onto this donkey and take them to the hospital and I, I don't know whether that's courage <laughs> or stupidity you know these guys were charging at a machine gun with sharp steel Simpson called out there with nothing And I think it just goes to show me that you don't need fists or firearms to be in a fight. You know, we, we're pretty comfortable with the idea of a fight. <laughs> On Friday night, we had a few guys trying to recruit themselves for UFC here. <laughs> we had bodies all over the floor and all this stuff. And we're pretty comfortable with the idea of a physical fight. But you know, I think there's a deeper level of fight and even within this guy, the personal courage to make those, what other people would describe as crazy actions, to go out and do that is amazing. And I think that in the end, it cost Simpson his life doing what he did. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. 
And I really relate to this idea of giving your life away. Because I think that when you go through your life, you give your life away to something. Different people choose different things, but we all give our life away to something. We all put all our energy and our time into something. And, you know, like we can remember the example of the Anzacs. And like your lyrics of your song said, you know, what are they fighting for? If it wasn't for them, I think it was that we end up on our front door, you know. And that was a fear of the Anzacs, is that what happened over there would spread and we would be speaking a different language today. But we all give our lives to something. And I guess tonight, I just want to ask you that question. And I don't want to ask that question from point of view of your past I don't even want to ask that question from the point of view of your future but I want to ask you right now in this moment what are you giving your life away for because I think in the same way that Simpson fought without a rifle, that Simpson fought without ever coming into contact with the enemy, we're in a fight here and just as he, he didn't we don't, we don't have a rifle he probably never saw those who he fought against. And oftentimes we don't. The battle for him was through mud and through rain and through snow. But the battle for us is in our internal world, that world of emotion and thought, of attitude and decision. And it's in that that the fight becomes very dirty indeed. And I think... A lot of the time, it's easier not to see life as a battle. It's easier not to see this struggle that is going on in your life and to pull back from that and say, no, I don't, I don't want to get involved here. I'm just going to live my life. But either way, you're still giving your life away to something. And I think that with the battle that we're fighting... The stakes are high. Physically, we can recognise how severe the cost was. Guys like Simpson fought in that battle and they paid for it with their lives. But because our battle is less physical and more spiritual, it's more difficult, I think, to remain engaged, to remain committed to the battle. Because our battle is not necessarily something we can always touch, it's not necessarily something we can always see or hear, because it takes place within your inner world, it's a lot more difficult to remain engaged in the battle. And it's a lot easier to step back and go, I'm, I'm out. Yes, I'm on the sidelines, go, go. But I'm out. It's a hard thing. But the stakes of our battle are really your, your life. Your life today. Your life tomorrow. Your life into eternity. But the stakes here are your life. And so as we talk about this, three, this battle, I think there are just three things that you need to know about being in this battle. First thing is you've got to pick a side. You've got to pick a side. You know, 
It was a, a general, actually, said these words. He stood up before a million people and he said this, Choose this day whom you will serve. And there's two things that stand out to me and two things that I want to emphasise to you. And the first is serve. This is not about spectating. This is not about cheerleading. But this is about serving. Pete used the language tonight about servicemen. When you enlist in the army, you give your life up. Whatever my country tells me to do, I will do it. A friend of mine went to Afghanistan as an interpreter. While he was away, his marriage broke down. Another friend of mine went to East Timor while they were still fighting for it from Indonesia. And he saw guys whose lives were ruined because of the stress that they suffered. Service is what this battle is about and we make a choice whom we'll serve. And we can choose to fight or not. And I guess I want us to just speak very directly and very clearly to you now. Because Jesus says this one sentence that I think we all need to hear and that we all actually need to embrace. He said, if you are not for me, then you are against me. Choose this day whom you will serve, because if you're not for Jesus, then you're against him. And that's a hard truth. And I don't like sitting here and telling you it. Because it's a hard truth. But Jesus is saying, this is a serious battle and the stakes are high. This night, who are you serving? Can you honestly say tonight, Jesus, you are my captain. When you blow the whistle, I will go over the fence. When you say, speak, I will speak for you. When you say, be silent, I'll be silent for you. Can you say, I have chosen? Because there's an enemy. And he's cunning, cunning as. The other week I was doing some property maintenance for a guy who lives up at Grosvile. And he gets me to do some cool stuff um, I've actually become a big fan of the blower. I always used to think that people who used blowers were idiots because they were just moving the rubbish from one place to another. And I'd see guys walking down building sites going, and the leaves would just move. But when you're working on a property, you go, and the leaves go off the driveway. And so everything looks nice. And so I love the blower now. Um, You may think I'm an idiot, but I love the blower. Um, It's a good thing. But one of the other things, and this is one of the things I struggle with, is that this guy owns like a property, it's got like, I don't know, 40 acres or something on it, and he gets me to weed. (laughs) Now, some of you are probably familiar with the idea of weeding your garden, okay? This guy has a house paddock. I mow his house paddock, I pick up leaves and twigs and all sorts of other rubbish in his house paddock, that's all right. But there's the working paddock, there's some loading yards where you bring the cattle in. He doesn't have cattle, but he's still got a loading yard. And he gets me to weed around the loading yard that no one sees, no one ever goes there. And so you're sitting there going, 
pulling these. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And uh, oh, it's, it sucks. And you do it. And the worst thing about it is that you go up and one week you'll do it. And then I go up there about every fortnight. And you come back in a fortnight and you'll look at where you just weeded. And the weeds have grown back again. And it's like, ah, I hate you. And so you just pull them out again. And this time he said, he just pointed me to the roundup. And so I just went into this shed and, and my boss, he's standing there and he goes, okay, now you take 75 mil and you put it in here and then you fill up with water. Got it? No worries. And I waited until after you went out and I got the round up and went, oh, double or nothing here, buddy. <laughs> Pumped it up, chum, chum, chum. And I'm walking around just going like, Whoosh. and I was looking at it and I'm like, that's not doing anything. And so I would now pick out individual plants and I just go, So I'm going to go back there in about a week's time and hopefully it'll all be dead. And I guess the thing is, is that our lives are kind of like that paddock. Is that we go, I've made a choice. I'm here. But our enemy comes in and goes, I know you made a choice, but you didn't really mean everything. I know you made a choice, but it doesn't really mean that God is first. Oh, look, I know it's important that you go to heaven, but they can make their own choice. And if they choose differently, that's not your problem. And so we make a choice. We make a decision but the enemy comes in and he's constantly trying to undercut it. He's constantly trying to plant thoughts in your mind that will render your decision a waste of time. And if we are not diligent with our decision, in guarding our decision, then we become what the Word of God describes as double-minded. I decided to do this, but I'm living this way. I made a choice, but something is different now. And then you don't even know where you are. You're like a dog just starts to chase its tail because you're like, I don't know. Am, am, am I really serving Jesus or am I just serving me? And so when you make a decision, you've got to be determined about the decision you make. Because you can make a decision and very quickly, that means nothing. Let me share with you some more truth. Listen to this, listen to this. All athletes, we've got a few here. Who's an athlete in the room? Okay. Who's an athlete when they're not in the lounge chair? Okay. Oh, a few hands went up more. Okay, that's good. Okay, all athletes are disciplined in their training. All athletes. I have the, had the misfortune of playing golf with Lachlan James in recent history. And I always stand there and watch him. And he's just got... He tells me it's all about the swing, you know. Actually, it's supposed to be like that and then you just move your wrist and then it comes through like this. And every time he says the key is to get the swing right. How many hours would you say you've trained for golf at your peak, Lockie? 
Like when you were when you're going hard in golf, how many hours a week would you train? Four hours a day. All athletes, whether or not you think golf is a sport is a different issue, but all athletes are disciplined in their training. I'm just going to tell you this. If you don't know me, I do spearfishing. And the other day I saw this poster and it's a blue water shot. And what that means is the person who's in the water is in deep water. You can't see the bottom, you can't see the surface, it's deep water. And there's a picture of a spear fisherman. He's there with the gun pointed out like this. He's got his little snorkel on and his fins. And just on the edge of the, um, of the picture, you can just start to make out some fins. You're not quite sure what it is, but it's just a little bit menacing. And underneath it has spear fishing. And then in smaller letters it says, because golf is for poofs. <laughs> I'll just say that because I can't play golf. But anyway, but I think, I think we're talking about the Word of God somewhere along the line here. It says this, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. They do it for a prize that will fade away. I've got some trophies on my shelf. I've also got some more trophies in some landfill somewhere because when I left home I went... Oh, it was nice. Even trophies get boring. Recently at Easter, they ran the stall gift. I think the winner won like some thousands of dollars, but she's already spent it. They do it for a prize that will fade away. But our race is for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not shadow boxing. I'm not just sitting there going, oh, I'll hit him like this and then... I'm disciplined. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You've got to be determined. You can make this decision, but you've got to be determined. The thing that scares me about that truth is the last sentence. We can make a decision. We can stand on that decision and we can say, You, come. Join Jesus' team. It's the best team. The prize is better than anything else you'll have in your life. But after that, if you lack determination, it's possible that after you share the good news with other people, you may be disqualified for the prize. And I've seen it. I've seen people get sidetracked. I have seen youth leaders have affairs with the young people that they're leading. I have seen youth leaders wake up one morning and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And now their life is filled with work and drugs. You need to be determined that you will pluck out every false thought, that you will give all of your life to Jesus and that you will be disciplined in your walk. And all discipline is, is making decisions that match up with where your heart is. I love God. I will choose you today. I love you, Jesus. Even though my life is hard, I will praise you today. I love you, God. 
I will share your love with others even though it gets flung back in my face. You've got to be determined. And sometimes it is only your determination that keeps you holding on to Jesus. Because our enemy is trying to pluck your fingers off one by one by one by one until you slip away. And I guess the outflow of that determination is you've got to do something. The Word of God says this. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. We've already talked about this tonight. This is where the enemy will come in. And even though you've made a decision, if your life is not matching up with that decision you made, he will undercut your life. And in this fight, he will come in and he'll stab you in the back. He'll kick you where it hurts. I'm an idiot. I used to think that Satan would come up and go, I'm over here, Brett, and I'm coming for you. (laughs) And I would think, I'm ready for that. I can deal with that. And so I'd stand there. And a couple of times he did, he'd go, Hello, I'm over here. And I'd go, bring it on. Boom! As somebody come in from the side. Satan will try every trick in the book. He will try and get you so focused on the things of this world. He will try and get you to fix your eyes on a prize that will fade away so that you are distracted from the prize that will last for eternity. He will try and get you to spend your effort for things that won't matter in 10 years, let alone in in 10,000 years. He will try and get you to worry about relationships that won't last six years instead of the one relationship that will carry you through your journey of life beyond the grave and well into eternity. You've got to live the life. You've got to do something. Otherwise, your decision is wasted and your determination is useless. If you are not doing something, then you are not in the fight. That's what you need to do. Choose who you will serve. Discipline your body. And let your faith flow into good deeds. When we were in the army, we did an exercise. And in this exercise we had to um, take a hill. And we were down in the gully and these guys were up on the top and I was the machine gunner and I had a little orange-haired girl named Mel with me. And halfway through, our machine gun, which was going, something messed up and it was only firing one shot. So we're going up this hill and I'm going, boom! Boom! It was like the world's biggest shotgun. I thought I was pretty cool. We won. Thank you very much. Um, But after that, after that, the guys running the exercise said, 
okay, you now need to go. But he's injured, he's injured, and he's injured. And so we stood there and built a little stretcher and sat this guy on our shoulders. And we walked back to our base. And we got to within about a kilometre of our base and then they launched what was a simulated mortar attack on us. Our stretcher snapped. And all these other guys were all little weedy fellas. And so I just went, oh, all right, here we go. And gave my pack to one guy and chucked this bloke on my shoulders. And we just ran the last K. And there was two guys with me and we just ran. And then we got there and we picked up our packs and we kept running. Because one of the things that they'll tell you is you don't leave anyone behind. And I just feel in my heart tonight that we've got some people here who want to join the fight. But I also feel that we've got some people here who have fallen in the fight. And I don't want to leave anyone behind. And so I just want to give you the opportunity to cry out to Jesus tonight, to reach out your arm. And if you've fallen tonight, just to take hold of Jesus again. And say, I'm making a decision tonight, Jesus, and I'm determined about it. I need to make some changes in my life, and I'm trusting you for that. If you're feeling that in your heart tonight, if you feel like maybe you were once in the fight, but that now you've fallen, then I'm just going to ask you just to stretch out your hand right now. Just reach out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm reaching out to you. And I need you to help me to stand again. And as we're standing here tonight, if you're next to someone who's raised their hand, then what I want you to do is I want you to stand next to that person. You might not know them too well. If you put up your hand, please keep your hands up. Just stand with them and say, I'm with you. I'm not going to let you go. We're in this together. And I just want you where you are to just pray, to just share the battle, to invite Jesus to come and to heal better than any, any medical person could. To heal the heart, to bring strength to tired lives. And while while those people are standing and praying, I want to invite you tonight that if you feel like you want to join the fight, then this is your opportunity to actually stand and say, God, I, I want to fight. I know it's not a fight that I use my fists in, 
but it's still a fight that can cause pain. I know it's not a physical fight, but it's one that I'm going to give my life to. And if that's you, if you feel like you need to step into the fight, that God is calling you to step into that fight tonight, then what I'm going to ask you to do is right now, just stand. Like God asks you to, stand for me. And again, if you're sitting next to a person who has just stood, then I want you to go and to stand with them. Say, you're not alone. Let's do this together. And if you're sitting down and you're seeing someone, then this is your opportunity to get involved, to get involved in the fight. Go over to a person that you see and say, I am going to help you here. Just as you're praying, I'd just invite you all to, uh, to continue praying. I just, I just want to pour out my heart a little bit now. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. Even though we may stumble, God, you reach into our lives and you help us back to our feet. God, that even though we carry deep wounds, you invite us into your arms and pour out your love into our lives so that we can go forward to a new day. Jesus, in your name right now, I release your love over everyone who's in this room, God. I pray especially for those who had the courage to stand tonight. God, that you would fill them now with your power, that you would fill them now with your courage, and that you would fill them now with your love. That, God, you would cut off those doubts that the enemy is trying to plant, and that you would give them the certainty of truth in their lives. God, that you would release your spirit over them, and that they would know that they are part of your army, that they are fighting for the king, and that they are fighting for a prize that will not fade. God, we just invite you now. You are our captain. You are our king. And we will fight for you, Lord God. So we've still got some people just having a quiet moment with Jesus. So while that's continuing, and please don't feel rushed, we're just going to invite the, the rest of the music team to come up. If we can just... Jerry, just give it to you. And just, just as the music team comes up, As as we sing this song together, if 
you feel like you need, if you feel like you want to continue in prayer, please do that. If you're praying with someone and you feel like that you've only really gotten halfway, please just go outside. Like, don't be ashamed. Like, there's more important stuff going on here. So if you feel like that's somewhere you need to go to continue your conversation, feel free. But um, if you want to just stay in here, whether you choose to join us in song or, or just sit quietly, just be free to connect with God.